We're back, and it's spooky season. It is October, and I am now the loft dweller for the remainder of the month. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I have spent um, basic, basically, I, I treated myself to a couple of Junji books. So I got, I think I mentioned this on a previous cast. I got the Liminal Zone. It's a new Junji book out in the wild. I've been reading that. It's really cool. And I bought another one that I didn't buy yet, which is a collection of his older stories called Venus in the Blind Spot. Okay. These are and, both blind spots for me. Yeah. The coolest thing about Venus in the Blind Spot is it's got... What is it? Why am I blanking on this? What is the most memed Junji tale of all time, Leon? Oh, uh, you, what you... Uh, are you, You're not talking about Amagara Fault, are you? That's it. Yeah. It's got Amagara Fault, but it's got colour um, panels in it. Oh, sick. <laughs> Yeah, and there's like some special coloured pages in there and things, which is pretty sick. So yeah, it's a nice little collected edition. So yeah, I picked up Venus in the Blind Spot and um, I've been reading Liminals and I've been reading that. I've not been doing an awful lot else. There was another book I've picked up, which I've not gotten around to yet, which is a book simply titled Ducks, um, which I picked up off the back of seeing it featured in various places. Um, it was in The Guardian, actually, as well. The, the Guardian don't often write about graphic novels. Uh, so, well, they, they, if they do, they, they keep it quiet because I hardly ever see it. Yeah, I um, it in past years. Um, I think yeah. they would do, do the odd one or do like a top 10 at the end of the year or something like that. But it's been a long time since I've, I've seen The Guardian and uh, like a comic together. Yeah, so um, this is um, cartoonist Kate Beaton, and it's like a memoir about her time working in the oil sands. And uh, it's yeah, I'm I'm excited to get around to reading it because it's like a comic memoir. Have you done anything interesting in the interim? Read anything? I've done many interesting things, but uh, <laughs> nothing that would. Yeah. Uh... It's super relevant yet, though I have yeah. uh, begun my, because as you said, it's spooky season, so I've begun yeah. my horror film uh, sort of monthly thing now, so uh, yeah. I'm, I'm well on to that. I watched a s sort of new movie called Speak No Evil, which uh, oh, is, yeah. is more like a thriller, but um, yeah. yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's uh, it's about a about two families that meet on holiday. Yeah. One is a Dutch family, the other is a Danish family, and they meet yeah. on holiday in full in Tuscany. Yeah. And they like quickly become friends. They both have like uh like a young child. The Danish couple yeah. have a daughter, the uh the Dutch couple have a son, and uh yeah, they bond and then they invite the Dutch couple invite the uh Danish couple over a few months later and they're like, Yeah, that's cool and uh then we be we begin a a, uh, a weird journey into sort of a mix of like different cultures clashing and microaggressions, and and uh, rubbing up each other the wrong way, but what but also being a bit freed and enjoying people's mm -hmm. like uh, different sensibilities. But then it also becomes a uh, quite a I'll just say a weird journey that uh, definitely worth watching though. It is. Um, and uh, I think some people will be like chilled by it in ways that I, yeah, that like I, I I'm not as sensitive to, but it is still yeah. like a really good ride, and I I quite enjoyed it. And um, yeah. it's a strong start to my spooky season. 
If I'm um, slow to start, by the way, or I, I keep missing things, it's because I am chock full of Korean food. <laughs> I ate myself stupid earlier. <laughs> now, now it's gone straight to my brain and I can hardly think. What did you get? Tofu bibimbap and um, kimchi pancakes. Uh, yeah, that's some good selections. I'm jealous. I haven't. Yeah had uh, boom bap in quite a quite a while i need to rectify that sometime yeah soon. yeah it's good it's good stuff uh, there's a really good korean restaurant in leicester called opa which is cool um actually i i started spooky season watching um it's always spooky season for me but i was watching a film called the old ways hmm. um which is quite an interesting film about um bruja so uh, that's uh, that's that's uh, that's quite a uh, an interesting film about um, sort of like Central American South American witchcraft, uh, which I'm quite I, I quite I'm quite into stuff like that now. I'm getting yeah, into yeah. The, those sorts of things, like the witchcrafty stuff, and that's that's my jam now. The the ghosty stuff, the witchcrafty stuff, the demonic stuff. Like I can I can take or leave real people doing real things to real people. <laughs> like house invasion stuff whatever not me but stuff like that i love it yeah so i I would recommend that one leon if you want to check that one out next it's on netflix so it's accessible yeah i I also started watching um there's a korean series on netflix i don't know if you've ever heard of this called sell your haunted house no you never come across that one no there's there's a few other ones that have come up for me uh but yeah not not that one so this one is quite interesting because there's this real estate agent and she's also an exorcist. And what she does is she, it, she does a little bit of light ghostbusting and then sells the house for you kind of thing. Okay. So yeah, so she exercises the vengeful spirit from the building and then she'll sell the house for you. Um, and it's quite an interesting formula because there's her and then she needs to work with a psychic, which is someone who is vulnerable to spirit possession because that's part of her method of exercising the spirits. And it turns out the most powerful psychic she's ever encountered is her rival, who is a con man who tricks guilty people into believing they are being haunted by vengeful spirits and then sells them like duff phony equipment that's supposed to drive the spirits away Uh, and they keep crossing paths yeah yeah and it's quite interesting so there's another one for your list what what, what's that one sell my uh sell your haunted house i think it's yeah sell your haunted house it's quite a cool one um so yeah uh we should just drop straight into the comics because i am slipping in and out of a food coma uh (laughs) As you can probably tell from the way I've been speaking since the beginning of the episode, this is great radio. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll open up with a comic called Make Believe, which we were sent for um, our perusal. Um, so this was sent to us by uh, Ryan Little, who is the uh, writer. Um, it's a Kickstarter project that was launched by Ryan. Um, he's one of the writers on Disney Plus's Marvel's I Am Groot and What If. Um, and this book is published as part of his creator-owned comic label, Plastic Sword Press. Um, it's a two-issue story. Part one is 75 pages, and the concluding part two looks to be another 75. Part one was fully funded, and it's out now. 
Um, and part two, you can sign up to be pre-notified of when that's going to be start when that's going to start funding. But we've got part two now, so we've already read part two because um, we've got the full thing. So yeah, part one was fully funded. Um, it is it's actually shipping now. It appears to be printing and shipping now. So but you can sign up to be notified for when part two goes live. And we've got the link for that on our website on the page for this episode. Um, so this for me was like a great coming of, coming of age tale about sort of like difficult choices and finding camaraderie and adversity. Um, the formula with this is uh, you've got this high school kid um, who he's having difficulty making choices, having difficulty um committing himself to to a, a choice and to to basically being able to um make choices and be an adult be an adult yeah basically <laughs> um, he's, um sifting through college admissions and he yeah. at the start he's unsure uh, yeah what his next steps going to be but he he suffers from severe choice paralysis hmm. yeah and like like leon was saying he's unsure of his next steps and everything else and um he uh sells all of his stuff trades it all in uh at the local game store for a copy a beta copy or he's got a beta login for uh a new AR game that uses like a gem that you hang around your neck and a set of um, contact lenses. Um, and I think, I think basically he, I'm not sure what his thought process is behind doing this. I don't know. I think he wants it because it's the latest thing. And it's like the first thing that he's ever truly decided on. Like yeah. the first thing he's ever truly let himself do and truly decided on doing was I'm going to play this game and I'm going to sell all my stuff so I can play this game. And he wanted to get it early because he was done waiting. Yes, he was done waiting for it. He wanted to get it early. So uh, he picks up this game and he starts playing it. And through the game, he finds himself a group of friends at school who are also other people, other players enjoying the game. Um, and it's that story about uh, finding camaraderie and adversity and uh, about finding escape and in that escape, finding yourself. So I think being who I am as a comic fan, as a gamer, keeping interest in hobbies like that, blah, blah, blah. Um, this book stuck a chord with my teenage self um, because all of us have difficulties and trials growing up. A lot of us sought solace and found some of our best friends in fantasy kingdoms, superheroics and being someone else, somewhere else, or, you know, for a few hours a night, uh, in, in a fantasy, uh, something far removed from the world. It sort of gives us some breathing space and allowed us to be who we wanted to be for a few seconds or a few hours at a time. Um, and to find ourselves and accept who we are in the real world through that. So I'm talking about, um, it, it brings me back to gaming in my teens, to playing final fantasy, crystal chronicles with mm. a group of people or halo for the gamecube or or playing single whoa, player whoa, whoa, whoa. before we get any uh correct halo, did i say get, uh, xbox <laughs> halo for the xbox <laughs> fuck <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is wrong with me today no yeah um <laughs> damn i've lost my groove now 
Jeez. Halo for the GameCube. Wow. That would have been interesting. Wow. I'm glad you corrected me on the cast. <laughs> and it didn't wait for the... You, you could have just left it and let me release it. And I just know that we would have had some Twitter replies about that. <laughs> Master Chief himself. Yeah, exactly. Comes knocking on my door. Cortana just hijacks my equipment. Yeah. No, um... <laughs> So yeah, uh, Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles on the Cube, Halo on the Xbox. Um, to spending hours a night discussing and reading about anime and comics in online forums and instant messaging services. And like, because I never really got into MMOs, but Same. I remember being around a lot of people that got into MMOs and you would hear things about World of Warcraft, Final Fantasy XI. Um, and I mean, I did try, but I could just never stick with it. I think my record was about two to three weeks with World of Warcraft. Yeah. Before I jacked it in. <laughs> so, because it felt, it felt too much like having a job. Yeah. I think that, that was, yeah. In so I was just like, no. You've got to keep your level up and yeah. you go on raids and you've got a roll and you get loot and then you're grinding and grinding. <laughs> but the game in this, in this comic feels like a more fun version of that. <laughs> Um, and it's interesting how it kind of mirrors that, um, that kind of special confluence of things that brings you together with other people, like you playing that game, them playing that game, you guys being online at the same time, uh, in the same place in game, and then making friends that way through the game. Um, and it, it kind of it brings back memories of that kind of um, activity and that kind of, um, well, memories of being a nerd in my teens, basically, <laughs> and having having those kind of relationships with people playing online and stuff like that, and and how you would forge those friendships through online gaming and whatever, and through fantasy realms and things like that, and it is yeah. it's just really interesting to think about that way. Um, Yeah, it's, um, I mean, even sitting around a table playing Dungeons and Dragons, because this kind of is a com, this is kind of like the middle ground between Dungeons and Dragons and World of Warcraft. It's LARP, but it's also a video game. Um, yeah, and, and like we used to do all sorts of other things as well. We used to play like single player games in a quasi multiplayer way. So You're we would play, the controller over. yeah, so we would play Final Fantasy X. And we would each have a character that we would get to control in battle. Hmm. So we would play through Final Fantasy games like this, where like for Final Fantasy X, um, one of us would be Yuna, one of us would get to control Auron and stuff like that. And we would have like three or four of us sat in the room together just playing through the game. Yeah. Yeah. And it's weird to think about it like that. Like it's a single player game. It's supposed to be a solitary experience, but somehow we made it multiplayer. Yeah, it, it is. But I think it's it's less... Uh, slightly less weird now because I think the confluence of things like uh, couch cop games and just stuff where like couples will like uh, play through like a horror game together or like a puzzle game together like I, I think that uh, millennials have uh, solidified it as less of a weird thing but definitely as growing up I, I definitely participated in 
in a lot of that with my like siblings and friends and like passing the pen yeah. and sort of getting through the game together yeah um and like as you say with this it does have that that same energy because like i growing up i didn't have like dungeons and dragons and stuff just wasn't a thing for me growing up yeah. uh, and uh, never really engaged in any like larp stuff but like um but i've always been aware of it so my my whole thing is mostly video games and also when i was younger we used to play make believe of everything we used to like like way older than i guess most people were still using them me and my friends and we would be playing with like lego yeah and like having storylines for our characters and like lives and uh interacting with each other like it's just uh all talk all like different forms of like uh like narrativizing like our, yeah. our play so um it was something like this it's it's really good because it hits all those like tropes of like uh being a bit of an outsider and, and like sort of finding your tribe but then also having having it be like an ar um uh, like fantasy thing has that more tactile element where you for us as a reader uh the what we normally see was this would be like imagination of people sat in a room but like yeah. if you think of the next stage of that where now the imagination is now brought into like the physical realm and you're having to see people like solve puzzles and interact with the uh the various npcs or like monsters they're battling uh in real time it is sort of that next evolution of what you have now with like kids in school playing like um like Fortnite on their lunch breaks or during classes on all their laptops mm. and stuff. So like it, it is very um, aware and, and, and yeah. astute of what, what like that next phase could be if like things uh, like the HoloLens or other types of AR devices like gain super popularity. Like this would be sub, such a good application of it. And you would have a, you would have core squads of people just like uh finding any empty room they can like like the characters here uh, during a school day and like free periods and be like oh no one uses that room we can use that room and then starting up a game like it's kind of like the stuff that people might have seen recently in like stranger things but like brought into the 21st century yeah and it's um it's like you said it's about um finding your tribe and and like you feeling part of something because when you when you were partaking in these activities, when you were solving problems with your friends playing a video game, or when you're online logged in playing Modern Warcraft or whatever your jam is, like um, you feel part of something, don't you? Hmm. You feel part of something. Finally, you and your friends enjoy the adventure. You forget the trials and tribulations of everyday life, and there's momentary freedom. So all of that in this book, a banding together of people who don't fit in, people who maybe don't want to fit in but still want to be accepted, and like, you know, you make your own communities and societies. And I, I love the, the message in the story here. And I love like the waves of nostalgia that come off this book. And it's kind of bittersweet in a way, because as fantastic as everything in the book happens in the book is, it's also mundane. It's ordinary kids doing ordinary things. That's kind yeah. of the beauty of it. Like, um, I, I was just thinking as well about how in the game, how it juxtaposes reality with, because it being an AR game, it does this very cool thing of juxtaposing reality with um, the fantasy of the game. And you get 
um you you get kind of that so when when we were young and we were into this stuff and um like you know i was um playing video games uh like playing dungeon dragons or whatever you kind of like you feel compelled to kind of like hide that from people because it's like or you felt compelled to kind of hide it from people. Like it was something that you had to kind of keep between the people that were in the know. Yeah. Or at least downplay. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm not that into it or whatever, but like, it's, it's the, the idea of, of like, there's a, there's a page in this where they go to the mall. Um, and the idea of owning it, like, how do you feel? I feel badass. You know, the, the idea of owning, um, like who you are and what you're into and everything else and just being okay with it comes through in that book, in that page, especially. And I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, um, so the Kickstarter page says it's a riff on, uh, isekai genre of manga and anime. And I can completely see that. Um, the AR technology in the comic is like a cross between LARP and an MMO. And it's really interesting to see how the characters have to sort of like navigate social embarrassment and real world dangers while also dealing with the virtual threats. Um, and the book itself is fun. It's quick paced. There's a lot of action in there. The art style is fluid and quite abstract, which means it lends itself well to exaggeration and distortion. And it shows incredible depth of movement in certain panels. Like they really use it to its strength with uh, some of the, um, exaggerated battles the magic the you know the swinging of blades things like that it it looks quick and powerful and um you really do get that depth of motion yeah at times it's very kinetic and um i really like uh just there's a lot of like detail in there in in things like when they go to like uh, the sort of weapon shop and all the yeah. different uh, bl- blades and axes and all like there's so much like detail there there's like really good visual language where like it's just uh it's, it's super simple and clear but when they're engaged in the in the, uh, the ar game they have like a life bar over their head and the amulets on their chest like are glowing slightly mm. and it's it just all like it's like fairly easy to pass like the um uh the character designs are really like uh individual and uh like they stand out they have like a good i think it's, it's like a, a good thing in like animation where they say like captain needs to have a good silhouette and i feel mm. like all the characters here have quite good silhouettes uh, as well as all the npcs and like enemies and stuff they face like all of it is is, is quite um obviously influenced by stuff but yeah. like, has a, a quite unique uh and like uh, original original feeling look uh to it all the, um, but, it, but it also it manages to do that blend where like they're yeah. in the game which is like fantasy world but also they're kind of just in like suburbia and like the way it it uh, matches between those two extremes is done really well there's some really cool um creature designs in this like i i really got into some of the creature designs i think my favorite one is the first boss they come up against oh yeah yeah yeah, I love that one. <laughs> With the uh, the bagpipes. The bagpipes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love it. That one's great. That's got to be my favourite one. Um, second favourite is the one with the candles. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, it's um, you you like I was saying, you get this this sense of speed and power and kineticism, and then it's just so vibrant and punchy as well, because the colours are there to back it up. Um, and it just adds like a whole new, a whole other layer of kind of like in your face osity <laughs> to the whole thing. <laughs> so when you're reading it, you kind of, it, it, it um, I don't want to say it jumps off the page cause I hate that, but <laughs> it, Would you say the, the, the city is a character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, um, it definitely, it like the colors back it up and 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 add like more depth to everything that's going on and give it more punch and more. Um, it makes everything more vivid and just more kind of like. It, it absurd also has, in a way, but like absurd yeah. in a good way. Yeah. Well, it it also has that thing where um, when you're like younger in, in your teens and stuff, like uh, the world feels bigger and the days feel longer. And it, this captures that pretty well as, as they go on their adventure, uh, as and it, that takes them all over town. There's something about it; it has that not haze, but that sort of um, the that expansive day feel, where like because yeah. uh, now for us as like aging millennials, days feel so short. <laughs> but like when I was younger, day like, ends at seven p.m. Man, like. <laughs> You you could have two hours spare hanging out with your friends, and that felt like forever. Yeah. Um, and like just like a few hours on a Saturday hanging out with friends, and you could get up to so much uh, trouble, so many hijinks. You travel so yeah. much, get on your bikes and uh, cycle for the forever. whole city. Do the whole yeah. city. And I think yeah. really you weren't even going that far, but it exactly. felt like you were, and you were, and, and and this really captures that. Yeah. them as like a sort of junior senior uh, high school students on the on the brink of like massive change it's nice for them to come together and, and have this this adventure uh to band together yeah. like this and to um eat, each bringing like their different skills to the table yeah. and obviously that's reflected in the roles that mm. they've taken and uh i feel like none of it feels cliche is what i like about it um, yeah like it, it all feels very rooted in in character. There's like a a truth that like um, an honesty to each of the yeah. characters that I quite like. Yeah, definitely. Um, I like that actually that it steers clear of the usual um, tropes that you find in these kinds of stories, where characters are concerned. Mm. You don't you don't get kind of like the usual stuff it, it's 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 different and it's good in that it's different and every, every like you were saying there's a truth to these characters which is really cool um and in 15 years 15 to 16 years they better enjoy this ar game while it lasts because in 15 to 16 years time they'll be doing what we're doing where when we come home from work we kind of like switch off the lights get into the fetal position surf twitter <laughs> until we can no longer stand it and then go to sleep <laughs> yeah but imagine they launched games like this in like two years time <laughs> like then, then we could like delete all the social media apps, and on on the weekend, just uh, pop in your uh, your your contacts, your hot, uh, contact. Hot Wasn't lenses. Pokemon Go like a little bit like this? Exactly. That's the thing. Like Pokemon Go, like was that brief uh, respite where you, yeah, you were you had because you had to have the app open. You couldn't open social yeah. media. So, if they and it, 
and you used to rinse your battery. So like, yeah, if, if this where we could just jump together and be like, yeah, screw it, man, we're in a different world, and it would it would change your town a bit in the same way that Pokemon yeah. Go did for a lot of people. If they release this, I know exactly what people of our generation would do. They'd buy it. We'd all get together and play it for like one Friday evening. And then I would, it would just be one of those things where you get home and you just look at the gemstone on the side and you're just like, ugh. And yeah, then you, you just, just go. Charge and, it. Yeah. And then, and then, and then I think Zoomers would be diving feet first. And oh, yeah. They'd so. love it. Yeah. But, but I would be, we, people like us, we'd come home, we'd look at it. And then we just go and put our sweatpants on and watch Brooklyn Nine Nine. <laughs> yeah, but you'd be watching Brooklyn Nine Nine <laughs> AR possibly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, to, I mean, I love that kind of stuff, and I, you know, I, I, I wish I would have the energy for it all the time, every day. But that's the reality of it. I have to set time aside for this stuff now, and it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think I think I if if this was a real thing, I think I would be into it. I would enjoy it. As long as it didn't feel too much like a grind. Because that would put me off. I can't be Fetch doing game. Yeah. I can't I can't be doing with endless fetch and carry. <clears throat> and endless killing rats for two gold a time or whatever. It's just yeah. no. No, thank you. Um yeah, and it's um, it, so this this book's a fun ride if you enjoy MMO games or Portal Fantasy stories. This is for you. Um, the twist here, though, is that the fantasy comes to you and not the other way around, like with usual Portal Fantasy stuff, where person is transported to X Realm. This time, X Realm comes to you through the power of contact lenses and a gemstone around your neck. Um, and uh, it, you know the the. The fantasy overlaps and it competes with the real world. It makes for some really cool and fresh and interesting moments. And uh, yeah, I I think uh, it's two parts, seventy five pages an issue. Um, I think if it sounds interesting to you, you should get on it and and you'd really enjoy it. If like I said, if you like MMOs, if you like LARP, if you're into that kind of thing, this is for you. Um, so yeah, I mean uh, the link is in uh, the page for this episode on our website uh you can check out the kickstarter and you can also sign up to be notified for when part two uh is ready to fund um yeah so that is make believe and that is by Uh, that is written by Ryan Little. Uh, we've got um, the main cover by Aaron uh, Edezra. Um, art by Aaron Edezra. Um, variant cover by uh, Marco DeFilo. Letters by Nikki Powers. Uh, another variant cover by Lauren Knight. Um, so yeah, um, that's your full creative team. Um, as always, I apologise if I've got your name wrong. Um, and yeah, uh, so I'd recommend that. Would you, Leon? Yeah, that's a recommend for me, definitely. Yeah, cool. Uh, on to the next one on the list. So the next one is um, the next part for the uh, Bone Orchard mythos. So I believe we spoke about... Um, we spoke about another part of this. We spoke about the passageway, didn't we, previously? Yeah. 
couple episodes ago. So this is the next entry into the Bone Orchard mythos from Lamaya and Sorrentino. And uh, I have to say, this universe of horror stories that they're building is actually shaping up to be pretty fantastic. Like, it feels like there is something on the horizon, though. It's something that's brewing just beyond. And so far, we've only just had, like, the smallest taste. And I need you to throw me into that inky black lake headfirst, please. <laughs> like, I'm ready for the whole thing. Like, I need to know the rules. I need to know the rules of what lies beyond. Like, I'm hoping that as this entry progresses, this entry into the mythos, it will provide more context. Um, because these are supposed to be um, kind of like a shared mythos. So, um, kind of like Lovecraftian style. Um... I mean, like, the main thing about this story so far, about 10,000 Black Feathers, is that it reeks of people messing with forces they shouldn't and with things that they can't control or hope to control. And at least that's where I think it's going. Uh, something gets out of hand and something is unleashed upon the world because of that. So the blurb from the official image site is, Trish and Jackie are best friends and avid gamers. But when the line between reality and their fantasy world is blurred by an evil darkness, can they be the heroes of their own story? I mean, it already has its hooks into me, like, totally. I'm already a sucker for this story. I love the framing of the story. I love the juxtaposition in styles between the flashback and the memory pages and the present. Um, the pages of the present feel and look like Sorrentino's trademark work that I know him for from previous. Um, it's like dark and stark realism. It's full of shadow and noise and hyper-exaggerated texture. Uh, thick and moody with outlines that are like, mottled and just yeah dark black a lot of black like almost like it's been stamp printed and then like over the top of something else yeah like super uh, high contrast yeah um and then the memories are like colorful halcyon delicate lines with like a fresh unreal sheen to it all and they pull in the complete opposite direction um and it, it's like creates this beautiful view from the mind's eye yeah, and it was also like almost like a nostalgia tinted yeah. like view. It's like everything's really uh, clear and uh, like detailed. Yeah, um, and then again, there are again as with other entries into the mythos, there's some really interesting page layouts. So we talked about this before when we talked about the passageway. Um, in this, we have panels arranged in concentric circles on one page, like ripples in a puddle. Um, and like the page escalates as the ripples flow outward if you follow the concentric circles outward um and it escalates to a point and then boom next page um and we've got panels that are set into the outline of a feather um and then we've got this really ominous and gorgeous full page reveal towards the end of the book i mean i'm buying it issue by issue but I think I might have to spring for the trade just for a different and more engrossing and less sporadic reading experience. Um, Cause I think this is the sort of story that will warrant it. Um, Leon, you got anything to add to that? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely echo what you say. Like I really love the contrast between the two styles, uh, both of them being really good. Um, I like how the flashbacks, uh, they sort of hint towards uh, hint towards something there, something bad that happens, something foreboding that is affecting the present. 
and when we flick to the present, that moody style that you described with like the uh, heavy contrast, thick, deep shadows on faces and almost like a moody, not desaturated, the kind of, I guess, but like more so you feel like people have been for a lot when we get here and then, and we get titles with the flashbacks and I think it all just builds like a really good texture and we get, get to see the beginnings of this friendship and, yeah. and, and then now this, this post side of it where, uh, the, uh, this, the characters like returning home, uh, and everything just looks kind of like, I don't know, sort of cold, but like, it's a familiar place and there, and there, mm. there's love there, but it's one of those things where like people ask, why did you leave? And it's like, sometimes you just, you have to leave. You have to, you have to escape. You have to see something different. Uh, you have to not be boxed in, but at the same time, yeah. you can, whenever you like go back home, you do feel welcome. You do feel comforted. And even though things look cold, they can be warm, especially with your interactions with your, your family members. And, and I like how that is, is built up and we get an idea of what's happened in this interim time but we don't really know what happened happened. And I like how that is, is built up and we get types such as a pact is made, a world is born. And uh, I, I love, I love how it, how it's done because like, especially like the coloring of the flashback sequences feels so much, there's such a, uh, I don't know, like such a, uh, a warmth to them, such a, a, a sort of a magic to them. I mean, what I was saying about the previous book, where it's like endless days, uh, this kind of has the similar feel, but instead of like adventuring around town, it's uh, bonding over like storytelling again, I guess, which is a, s a similar thing. But like this is a uh, coming together of a, 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 a shared love of like fantasy and sci-fi stories. Um, I, I, lo I love how that's done. And then we'll, we'll, you might just get a page where it's, it's like a black feather on a, on a white page. And then yeah. we're back in the present and dealing with the mood and the possible spooky. And I, I like how it all builds up and how the uh, splash pages are employed. And I really do like that style. Uh, where where it's like yeah you have like sort of like the dotting that's like a like a, a sort of te an extra texture there because of this star that I really like, like yeah a, it's a different type of detail mottled textured black yeah it's good and then like the uh, the final final pages are really good and this is a mm. really ominous setup uh, for what happened what mistakes were made and uh, what lies ahead. So mm. it is a very uh, auspicious start. Yeah, I am a hundred percent looking forward to what is to come, and um, I need I need more. Just keep feeding me, please. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, that is ten thousand black feathers. Um, that is written by Jeff Lemire, art by Andrea Sorrentino, uh, colorist is Dave Stewart. Uh, you've got letters and design by Steve Wands. Um, and that is published by Image Comics, and uh, you can pick up issue one now, um, and then uh, I think issue two is available later on this month. Um, so get on it. 
Um, and yeah, I can't, I want to see where this goes because there's going to be another part to um, the Bone Orchard Beefus next year as well. And then I think they're going to keep it going. So after this mini series finishes, because this 10,000 Black Feathers is going to be like a um, several issue mini series. And then after this, there's another, there's another part coming. Uh, and I'd be interested to see where it goes from there. So last thing on our list today um, is Fantastic Four Full Circle. So this is a gorgeous oversized format hardback. Um, this is a Fantastic Four OGN by Alex Ross. Um, and it revisits a classic Kirby Lee storyline from 1966, which was in uh, issue 51 Fantastic Four titled This Man, This Monster. So in this storyline, a bitter scientist seizes on the opportunity of a depressed and vulnerable Ben Grimm and uses the device and steals his identity and infiltrates the Fantastic Four with the goal of destroying them. Uh, he wants to prove that he's the mental superior of Reed Richards. Uh, so he lures Ben in using a short-range subliminal influencer, and then offers him coffee. And then when Ben goes to sleep on the couch, because I think there's something in the coffee, he gets out his um, something he calls his duplication apparatus and steals ben mug, Ben's mug and powers, right? <laughs> it's classic Silver Age stuff. Um, and this is also, in this story, is also the first time the Fantastic Four set foot in the negative zone. So um, the doctor who stole Ben's uh, identity to destroy the Fantastic Four has a change of heart after trying to kill. Re so his whole thing is like, ah, Reed Richards has gone into the negative zone. I'm, I can leave him there um, and he'll die in the negative zone. He'll be stranded there forever. Um, and that'll be like part one into unraveling the Fantastic Four. But he has a change of heart because Reed Richards' reasons for going into the negative zone is to protect Earth and he's not doing it to get paid or anything like that he's just doing it just to be a good person and this like flips a switch in this scientist's head and he's like he, he almost goes through with his plan and then decides he's going to save reed instead and by saving reed sacrifices himself and becomes trapped in the negative zone himself um it's kind of and he does this in his his reasoning for this when uh when we read the original story is that he is doing it as a kind of redemption to make up for all the terrible things he's done in his life. Um, anyway, move on to Fantastic Four Full Circle, which is kind of like a, almost a straight up sequel to this really. Um, it's a rainy night in Manhattan and not a creature is stirring except for Ben Grimm. When an intruder suddenly appears inside the Baxter building, the Fantastic Four, Mr. Fantastic, Reed Richards, the Invisible Woman, Susan Storm Richards, the Human Torch, Johnny Storm, and the Thing, Ben Grimm, find themselves surrounded by a swarm of invading parasites. Leon, do you remember the theme tune from the Fox Kids Fantastic Four show? Of course, it lives in my head rent free. Because <laughs> I just heard it. Um, <laughs> it's because you went through the names. Yeah. <laughs> These carrion creatures, composed of negative energy, come to Earth using a human host as a delivery system. What in the Xenomorph? Uh, but for what purpose? And who is behind this untimely invasion? So, uh, Fantastic Four have no choice but to journey into the negative zone, an alien universe composed entirely of antimatter, risking not just their own lives, but the fate of the cosmos. So, um, what Alex Ross does here is he 
in this story, he, he is able to fully channel the psychedelic and vivid mood of Kirby's work through his own style. So imagine Alex Ross as a medium performing a seance and reaching Stanley and Jack Kirby in the 60s by throwing his mind back in time um, and fully channeling that <laughs> into what he's doing with his own work. Um, and then like he's just there at the seance table, then all of a sudden his hand just starts moving madly across the page. Because that's, that's how it feels. Um, and uh, yeah, it's like... So he, he fully, he sort of like fully um, takes that vivid mood into his own style and gets this, creates this like cr gripping sequel narrative to this, this um, single issue story. Um, so the Fantastic Four must once again journey into the negative zone and the whole book is as bold and as daring as the original captivating story that inspired it. Um, and it's like a love letter to all that the Fantastic Four are. Um, and all that Silver Age comics were. And it is a beautiful piece of work. It's presented in large format, gives you the space to fully appreciate and drink in the colours and the shapes and the incredible work of Alex Ross. Um, now, anyone who knows Alex Ross's work will know that he's norm normally known for his beautifully painted realism. And um, if you've seen Alex Ross's stuff, usually it's like that kind of um, what I call movie poster where it's like really detailed painted realism. So, um, Kingdom Come, Leon? Yeah. That's Alex Ross. Yeah. You've read Kingdom Come, right? Of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, I believe Alex Ross also... Marvels. Did... Um, uh, this might be wrong. But I'm, I'm sure uh, Alex Ross did artwork that appears in the intro of Spider-Man, maybe Spider-Man 3, Spider-Man 2 or 3. Um, like uh, his artwork appears in the beginning. So most so for like a big, big audience, people who maybe not are not have not interacted with his work in comics. Um, that's where you, people would have seen it. Yeah, but go read DC's Kingdom Come. Um, <laughs> I mean that's evergreen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he um, he draws um, like he's known for this like beautiful painted realism, but he couples this with the abstract. And for me, it's like a peerless homage to Kirby. Like he draws inspiration from Kirby's outlandish trademark machinery designs and his groundbreaking incorporation of collage work in comics. Um, because we get some some pages in this book where it looks like Kirby's collage work um, in an homage to one of the original pages of the book that this is a sequel to uh, Fantastic Four 51 um, there is like a, a full collage page in there that Jack Kirby did um, and like Kirby was known for his like groundbreaking collage work in comics like that was just a thing he did and it was really cool and uh, if you want some really cool examples, just Google it, man. <laughs> it's, it's just really beautiful stuff to look at. Um, and uh, yeah, he's like lovingly rendered this book in tribute from start to finish. And it does actually show like he's pushed his work to new places with it. And he's made something entirely unique. Um, and yeah, I'm in love with this book. It's 
a trip through Fantastic Four history, we are treated to appearances of other villains and other characters as we float through the negative zone untethered, uh, almost like we're soaring through the Richards family basement. <laughs> yeah. Um, with the appearance of Annihilus and also the Nega Man, who in actual fact makes up some of my favorite pages in the book. Um, and it is just a fun jaunt to the negative zone for sure. Like, I don't regret my time hanging out at the Baxter building with this one at all. I mean, Leon, you got anything to add to that? Oh, definitely. I would say that nearly every single page in this book could be framed and put on a wall. Easy. Yeah, easily. Uh, especially the splash pages. But like, it, it's it's ridiculous how good each page looks. And um, as you keep going on, and when they uh, first uh, re-enter the, the negative zone, and... Uh, it, it's so striking. It feels classic, uh, like you're saying. The uh, just the mix of that painterly sort of style and like the the, the curviness with the colours, but it also feels super um, like super like modern at the same time. It, it's it's basically yeah. timeless, is what I'm trying to say. Mm. Uh, and like some some of these like panels are so detailed. Uh, they're so fantastical like every single element is just colored in a particular like way and the, the use of like like really striking like pinks and fusions with like bright greens like all of it contrasts so well to just be like a visual treat for the eyes and it's never like in the same way that kirby stuff was like hyper detailed and, and like in your face but you could still pass each each panel pass each page this is what the uh, uh, Russell's artwork is like here, where like you'll have uh, images where there's like barely any black, <laughs> uh, no gutters or anything really. There's barely any negative space, and it, all of it is filled with either characters or enemies or text boxes. Uh, what do you mean? There's usually... barely any negative space. That's like half the book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but like, <laughs> but um, tish, but like, like so much of the page and panels are filled with. Of details uh like you could this is one of those ones where either you spend like two minutes reading every panel or once you've finished it you go back and, and like pour over each of the images because they're so striking and so like classical um and so like it has that big sort of silver age mythological feel where everything was like big and uh like archetypal and like uh, and classical to reuse the word like it, all of it just looks so good and so textured and so uh like almost like tactile like it's just a great look it's really really uh, a fun fun ride it it, it it pulls you through on like a a more like an old school style adventure but like it it, the storytelling is a bit more modernized. There's less characters doing the sort of old school comic y thing where they like tell you exactly what's just happened. Um, that happens yeah. a lot less here, and, and instead, the dialogue is um, way more focused on like what's going on or like character work. And I really love all the sort of classic Fantastic Four relationship stuff and how characters like rib each other. Or have like little asides, or like uh, just little nicknames and stuff. Like they just they do feel like that that 
that first family of Marvel. And I, I do like all of it just has such a great feel to it. It's almost like those, uh, it's the same energy kind of, of the grand designs books. Yeah. But like, uh, but instead of being like a recapping history, this is like a fresh tale, like uh, for a sequel. Like, like I feel that it feels really genuine as, as a sequel to that story. But mm. then I think that things have moved by so much. I don't think you could say like, oh, it's just like it's plucked out of the 60s. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> nah. Like, uh, it, There's it, not enough purple prose yeah, in it for that. Like, it's... Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it evokes that, but it has such a clean, like, uh, yeah, modern yeah. look. And it, it, like, it, it feels like it's built on all of the history that, that's got us to this point. And I like, yeah. there's such a, like, a reverence and love here um, that it, it just makes it for a fun ride. Especially, like, I... I didn't really read too many Fantastic Four comics of of the Marvel comics that I read growing up. I read that Fantastic Four were like kind of the least. Like I mostly read like X Men and Spider Man, and uh, like well, a, a we few, we a, a we few grew others. up during the X Men boom. So yeah, but like know, I, I have I have like picked up those like uh, those thick anthology like books in, in like small hand uh, small form. And I have read through a lot of like the originals, like the introduction of characters like Black mm. Panther and stuff like that. But like, uh, yeah, I'd only like, it's mostly in like other media that I've really experienced the Fantastic Four bar, like a few of the classic stories. But even then with me not having like, not not being like a hardcore, hardcore uh, Fantastic Four person, it still like really rings true to me and uh, was uh, was quite a, like a fun ride to go on. Uh, it, like it felt super comic booky, but in like all the good ways. Yeah, it is. It it, it strikes that fine balance. And uh, if you want some Silver Age comics, but you know not so heavy on the purple prose, then check it out because it's really good. Um. So yeah, I fully in love with this book. Um, and that is. Fantastic Four, full circle, uh, almost entirely by Alex Ross, but not quite. <laughs> so we've got um, art and script by Alex Ross. Uh, we've got colours by Alex Ross with uh, Josh Johnson. And we've got lettering by Ariana Mayer. Uh, and it is a beautiful, beautiful book. And... Um, yeah go out and grab it because it's great if you go to alex ross's website actually you can buy a signed copy of it but um i wouldn't recommend him doing that if you're outside the us because the shipping is prohibitively expensive because <laughs> i had a look <laughs> just to, i had a look at as research for this episode just to, i checked the shipping i added it to my basket and everything and i was like oh that's disappointing as are a lot of things the, especially with how the pound is doing right now yeah, it's extra yeah. brutal if you're here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, if you if you want to spring for a signed copy and you live on uh, the right side of the pond, then go for it. So yeah, that is uh, that is Ace Comicals episode one three seven. You can find us at Ace Comicals on Twitter, um, which is where we are most active. DM us uh, at us. Um, if we've talked about anything today that you've also read, get involved in the conversation. Tell us what you thought. Um, you can find me on Twitter under at Bato. Uh, similar rules apply at me, DM me. If you want to talk about comics, that's why I'm there. 
Um, if you want to talk about stuff that we've talked about on the episode, then get in touch. Uh, Leon, where can we find you? Find me on Twitter at Leon Everett. I just want to say, like, um, we've been really enjoying like really good feedback with, uh, on Twitter with like uh, a lot of the the creators, and that's been really nice. It's it's been nice to uh, uh, like in- engage with, with, with the fine people who are making the, this amazing art. So like, uh, yeah, yeah, keep that keep that up because it, it's, it's it's fun. It's nice. We love it. It's always nice when uh, you, you we we talk about a comic and then like the person who um who made that comic has actually listened to it <laughs> I, I get i i love that it's great um so yeah please um get in touch with us if you want to if you want us to talk about your book or whatever then get involved um yeah and uh That has been Ace Comicals episode 137. That is Ace Comicals over and out.